0: You are listening to the weekly message at woods chapel blue springs where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from everyone is included accepted and loved for more information please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org good morning and thank you for joining us here at woods chapel blue springs my name is michael scott and i am the pastor here and uh I wanna talk about being angry this morning. Now, there were a lot of Green Bay angry people this last week, a lot of Buffalo people who were angry last week. Of course, I got my Chiefs gear on again uh, because last year when we won the Super Bowl, I wore this every week to preach in, and I haven't shaved since the playoffs started. So uh, we wanna lend our support and uh, our prayers to our Chiefs. But I wanna talk about anger this week. What makes you angry? What is the thing that really just takes you off that gets you going, Uh, type it in. If you're listening to this on the podcast version, uh, send me a message, send me an email. I wanna know the things that make you angry right now. It's important because the next few weeks we're gonna be talking about some of those things. So what makes you angry? I wanna tell you what makes me angry. I get mad when I drive. Do y'all do this? I get super upset when I'm driving down the road and I'm in the fast lane and there's somebody in front of me who is not going fast. In the fast lane, right? I'm that person that'll kind of get up on your bumper and honk a little bit, you know? And and uh, I, it's a good thing I don't have a bumper sticker on my car that says I'm a pastor because it would not be a very good representation uh, of our church or of me. This is also why we don't have bumper stickers to say, uh, join me or come follow me to Woodchapel Church because some of you drive like idiots like I do. Uh, but driving gets me all worked up. I get, I get frustrated. I get angry when people cut me off or they go slow or they don't do it like I do, right? It makes me mad. It makes me angry angry, you know, often I think the things that make us angry in life, we often think that there's a source of those. And I think in faith, sometimes we think that source is God, that, that we, maybe some people think that there's an angry God. Now I want to make the argument today that God is not angry, uh, in general. Now, now God does get angry. We do get angry, but it's what we do with that anger. That's important. And so this is our final week. This is the last week of this series. I've been talking about ways in which we think about God. And I've been trying to not convince you, but maybe to expand your mind a little bit to get you to think about God differently than maybe how God has been described to you or defined for you in the past. Now, I'm not trying to define only one kind of God. I know that your experience with God is different than my experience with God. But in this series, your God is to dot, dot, dot. I've been trying to address some of the issues that we face, that we face in, in faith and in Christianity and statements like your God is too judgmental or your God is too angry or distant or small. These are the things that when I talk with you all, those of you who are listening this morning, these are some of your concerns and you don't understand why God is this way. And so I've been trying to expand your mind, to expand your faith, to expand your image of God and the way you describe God maybe to include it just a little bit different. I think the tradition of our faith does describe these things as as God as judgmental or or as God as angry. Now, this is nothing unique. I think people in general, uh, when we talk about God, really what we're talking about isn't just God, but the people who represent God. And so Christians in the Christian faith, people, we meet Christians and we say, ooh, they're judgmental or they're angry. And so we project onto them. We say, well, if they are like that, then their God must be like that. And we get these stories from the Bible where we get these ideas of who and what God is. And there are stories. There's lots of them. There's stories about God being angry in the Bible. There's also stories about God being happy and joyful. God being love and loved. These are the things in which the ways we describe God. Now, there is an idea out there Um, where in the old Testament of our faith. So in our Bible, there's kind of two parts Uh, there's the old Testament. that goes back thousands and thousands of years. These are ancient documents that were written down by different people and their experiences with God. And then you have the new Testament. The new Testament is when Jesus is born. And the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we hear about Jesus's life. And the rest of it is mainly letters written by a guy named Paul to other people. Now, A lot of our original ideas go back thousands and thousands of years, and there's this book in the Old Testament called Samuel, 1 Samuel, actually. Now, Samuel was a prophet, and Samuel was the prophet to a king named Saul. In in their day and age, uh, there was a king and there was a prophet. The prophet's job was to represent God, was to represent the voice of God. And the king's job was to bring about justice. The king's job was to take care of the people and their physical and their needs, whether that was providing for them or fighting their wars. The prophet's job was to take care of their souls, of their spirit, to look out for the direction in which they were going. To say, you know what, you've done things. And there's patterns in our uh, relationship with God and in our history. And if we don't watch out, if if we're not aware of those patterns, we can repeat them. And so Samuel's job was to be the voice of God and the God that they would describe is probably much different than the God that we would describe today. Now that doesn't mean that this book is false. It doesn't mean that there's no God. What it means is, is that the way they describe God is different than how we might describe God, the, the ways in the old Testament of how God would, was described by those people was through a certain lens. And it does look dramatically different than the way in which God is described in the new Testament. Or the way that we would say it is that when Jesus comes, Jesus is the human form of God and he changes everything. He turns everything upside down. He radically changes our ideas about God. But the reason we get this idea that God is angry and maybe vengeful and wrathful, right? Is that a word? Wrathful? Full of wrath is, uh, I'm going to read one of these. Now there's plenty of stories about God being mad and angry. And I want to read them. And this story is one that's going to make you cringe just a little bit. Because it's not a fun story about God. But there is a point to the story. There is something to be learned from it. But the context of it and the story itself and the words of it seem harsh and angry and vengeful. If you want to follow along, I'm reading from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3 at the very beginning. So Samuel said to Saul, right? Samuel's the prophet, Saul is the king. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Listen now to the Lord's words, right? Cause it was, it was Samuel's job to speak for God. This is what the people of the Lord of heavenly forces says, right? So this is what God says. I am going to punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel, how they attacked the Israelites as they came up from Egypt. So go. Attack the Amalekites, put everything that belongs to them under the ban. Spare no one kill men and women, children and infants, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, when we read that and Samuel is speaking as the voice of God, we look at that and go, Oh my goodness. What did those poor donkeys and camels do? Right? I joke a little bit about that, but, but he's speaking for God. And his lens, his understanding of God, the way he would talk about and describe God, was that the Amalekites had attacked the, um, the, the, the Hebrew people when they were leaving Egypt. And he felt like it was their job to um, attack them back. I mean, I don't know who else said that, to, to kill them. And, and he attributes these words to God kill every man, every woman, every child every infant and all of their animals. Of course, we would not describe God that way today. The God that we describe, the God that we have come to know and to learn about is much different than that description of God. Now there is a theme. There is something to be learned in that story. And if you read the whole story, there is a theme to that. And that's for a different sermon. But we would no longer describe a God that would actually instruct us to kill one another. Because if we still believed in that kind of God, then, then, Today, people could be, I don't know, they could say that they were modern day prophets, that they were of God, and that they would tell leaders to kill other groups of people. We, we of course, see this in other parts of our world. People are still using the name of God to inflict hurt and pain and anger. And so we get the idea that God is angry from scriptures like this, and there are many of them. There are lots of scriptures, specifically in the Old Testament, that would depict a very angry God. Now that was just their understanding and what they thought God was later. They would encounter God more and more. God would become more of a provider. God would become more of a protector. God would become more of somebody in which they would draw love from, especially as we get into the new Testament, especially as we get into Jesus's life, especially as Jesus would challenge their laws. And he would say, not that way, but this way. So if we think that maybe God was, um, or at least the depiction of God was angry or was anger, what does God look like today? Now I want to back up for just a few moments. And I want to say that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. I mean, anger is, I mean, it's, it's an emotion. It's something that, you know, when we're angry, we feel mad. And these are valid feelings. and So I'm not trying to negate any feelings that you might have of anger or even that God. I mean, Jesus comes into this earth. Jesus flips everything upside down, but Jesus gets angry on occasion. It's only in these times that Jesus gets angry when people are hurting one another. So when the people in power are hurting the people who are not in power, right? The marginalized, the poor, the outcast, the imprisoned, the immigrant. When Jesus sees this happening, it angers him. One time he's in a temple and there are people taking advantage of poor people. He calls them money changers. They are price gouging people and he flips tables, right? He's making a change. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the religious elite. They are constantly oppressing people who were poor, who didn't look like them, who didn't get it, who didn't have all their knowledge. Jesus is very hard on them. He gets angry at them. So anger in and of itself isn't bad but it's not God's nature to be angry. And God is not angry all the time because I would say what God is, is also what we are because we were created in God's image. We come from, we are a part of all those things in which we talk about of what God is. So if God is angry all the time, that would mean that we would be angry all the time. I think parts of God can experience anger. Parts of us can experience anger, but only under the context of which it begins to protect somebody else. Maybe somebody who can't protect themselves. Maybe somebody who is vulnerable. Maybe somebody who feels marginalized. We see this in our country right now. We see groups of people who feel marginalized. And there are those of us who feel like it's our job to protect them. Now, hear me out. That should create in us some kind of anger. When we see people being hurt and taken advantage of, Anger is a good thing. Anger draws us to take action. Anger comes through our body and causes us to take action and to help those around us, what it doesn't do. Anger does not bring us to a place where we harm those who are doing the oppressing. I want to be very clear about that. Anger protects the ones who are being hurt, but it does not harm or eradicate the ones who are doing the hurting. Now I'm not saying that we should allow injustice to happen. I'm not saying that people shouldn't have punishment for their crimes or for the things they do. What I'm saying is for the common person, for the common Christian, for the common person of faith, if we experience anger, it should be through the same lens that God and that Jesus experienced anger. It should be through the lens that we should be angry when somebody is being taken advantage of, and then we should want to help them not make the oppressor the enemy because even if we make them the enemy, what does Jesus invite us to do? Jesus invites us to love enemy. So our job is not the eradication of the bad people of the oppressors. Our job is to love them, to take care of and to protect those who are being hurt. A huge and dramatic difference in the way we see our faith, because a lot of people see our faith that God is angry and God's job is to punish those bad people and to hurt them and to eradicate them. Instead, I would challenge and I say that our job, God's job, God's nature is to love people, to protect the innocent, to protect those who would be harmed by the oppressors, to love everyone, to include everyone, to accept everyone as they are. That's a massive and huge difference about what faith is and who and what God is now, where did I derive this from? Why do I think that God is all sunshine and rainbows and love? Well, I want you uh, to hear me. I want you to turn with me to John first, John first, John four, and we're going to read about the nature of God. We're going to read about who and what God is. And in this passage, in this scripture, it literally says that God is love. So if you're reading along with me, I'm starting at verse 17. It says, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. So God is love. God's nature is love. And our job is to then love and return and to be then full of that kind of love, right? To embrace it, to absorb it. To participate with it. This way, love has the run of the house and becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of the worry of judgment. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well informed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is not one yet fully formed in love. Right now, we have a lot of fear. A wise man once said that fear leads to anger. Anger leads to, I think, sadness. and sadness leads to being miserable. Actually, I have the quote here. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. Uh, For you Star Wars fan, you know who said that. Fear is not of God. Fear is not love. So the nature of God is not fear, which leads to anger. The nature of God is the opposite of that. It's one with love. And if we still fear if we still have an excess of anger, anger towards people that we, that we want to hurt, right? Because we know that God does not want to hurt people. then that's not of God. He says, we though are going to love, to love and to be loved. First we were loved and now we love because he loved us first. And if anyone boasts that I love God and goes right on having his brother or sister thinking nothing, hating his brother and sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he, can he then love God who he can't see? The command that we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love them both. While we may experience anger, while God may experience anger, The point of our life, the point of God, the thing which we come from, our source is one of love. It's one of joy. It's one of happiness. To be a person of faith, to be a Christian means to participate in that love and that joy and that happiness. Not that we don't experience anger, not that we don't experience fear from time to time, but those are emotions that happen on occasion. It's not the source. It's not our core. It's not who we are. You see, who we are is different. We believe that that our source, that our core, that God is this thing that we describe as love. It's just a word, but, but it's inclusive of so many things, of goodness, of kindness, of mercy, of justice. This is the God in which we serve. And I hope that you can begin to see that God is one of love and that when God experiences anger, that when you experience anger, that it's not just because your feelings have been hurt or you're sad or you're fearful or that you want to hurt somebody else. I hope that you're brought to anger. I hope that you experience anger when you want to help and protect somebody else. You see a lot of you, I know this because I talk to you every single day. A lot of you are angry right now. I mean, anger is the natural progress when we lose something when we experience the death of something, when we are grieving, anger is part of that process. And a lot of you are, are hurting right now and you're in pain and you're angry and you don't even know why. And the story usually goes something like this, Mike, I don't know what's happening. I, I, I work all day. I do the things I need to do. I go home or I'm already home cause I'm working from home and, and I, I don't know who my kids are anymore. I don't, I don't know who my significant other is or my spouse. My coworkers, my friends, I go home and I drink and then I go to bed or I eat until I go to bed or I shop until I go to bed or I binge watch TV until I go to bed and I wake up and I do it all over again. And, and Mike, it's making me angry. I need you to hear me. I'm angry too. This is the result of isolation. This is a result of the pain of the fear that is rampant right now in our communities. These are real results and that result is anger. It's a real feeling. What I want to challenge you with is that we not let that anger consume us, that we don't let that anger take over, that we don't keep making other people. The enemy, if there's anger to be had, I hope it takes us and it shapes us and it helps us to protect the innocent and the poor and the marginalized among us not to be hated on and, and go out and hurt those that we disagree with. Right? Like that Samuel scripture, we're not here to kill the women and children and goats and sheep and infants. We're here to love and to be loved like John invites us into. Every week I have this term that I say that you have courage work. You have something to go do. This week I just want you to do one thing. Two things, let me back up. And here are the two things. The first thing is I want you to acknowledge that you are hurting, that maybe you're angry. And if you're sitting there going, Mike, I'm not angry. Life is great. Life is joyful. I'm happy. Everything's great. That is great. You can turn me off now. You don't have to listen to me for the next two weeks. But if you're somebody who says that you're experiencing pain right now and hurt, and that, that makes you angry and you don't know what to do with it, I want you I want to invite you into a place where you can acknowledge that, where you can be aware that that's what's happening. Be aware of your feelings, be aware of your emotions. And what I want to do is invite you to come back over the next two weeks. I've invited Amy Thompson, who is a mental health expert, to come in and to discuss with us tools and ways and things that we can do and in which we can deal with these feelings. Because right now, every single day, all I hear is, Mike, I don't know what to do. I walked in these doors earlier today and I looked at somebody who I love dearly and I said how are you doing and every time this is the response I get I, I don't know I mean I just I'm just here We don't exist to just be here We exist to love to embrace to nurture to live life together And I want it to be the kind of community that gives you the tools in which you can do that for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, for your coworkers, for your fellow students, for those around you in your immediate circles. And so I'm going to invite you to come and join us over the next few weeks as we explore our feelings, as we explore the emotions that come along with that. And as we talk about ways in which we can deal with it and ways in which we can healthily respond. To those things we will give you tools and resources, phone numbers, websites, things that you can do people you can call in order to get help. As you think on those things, as you embrace your anger, your emotions and your feelings, let's go to God and ask for his blessing and guidance. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you that this week we got to experience a little bit of joy in watching a team win a football game. But God, we know that that on Monday we had to go back to real life. God, in real life, from time to time right now, actually, a lot of the time it's just miserable. And that can turn us bitter or angry, hateful. God, we know that you are not those things. We know that you are love and joy and peace. God, we know that you are the source of all those things. Help us. God, help us to access those. Help us to participate in those. Help us to love you and to love others. And God, and when we experience that anger, may it only be to use that anger, to shape that anger, to take that anger, to protect those around us who can't protect themselves. God, help us to to remember all those things and to always do things in the name of love and in your name. We give this to you and pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.